0: Or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our listeners sheltering in place at home, welcome. Thank you for exiling yourself for the good of the realm. These are scary times right now, so... We do appreciate, I do appreciate you stopping by for this because horror is life. Horror is also an escape. And in this way, you get to choose your fate. You get to choose what scares you. I'm grateful to have you here with us for this little escape right now. I hope you're staying safe and staying quarantined. So, come closer. And listen to strange happenings beyond your wildest imaginations in this feast of fools. First, a dark water legend rises to the surface. Next, we investigate the hot buzz at a college campus. After that, there's a knock at the window in a classic creepy pasta. And finally, a twisted retelling of the monkey's paw. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com snarled. So, want to hear something scary? The Lady of White Rock Lake. In the waters of the South, there are urban legends that abound, of ghostly women and bodies that are never found, like in this poem inspired by Christiana. It was a hot Dallas night when two lovers snuck out to set sail out of sight. See, their parents didn't approve, so they had to escape. This is the tale of the Lady of White Rock Lake. Racing against the dawning sun, they both prayed for luck against fate and pushed a boat into the water past the muck of White Rock Lake. See, they knew the danger, but it was the only way out no matter the disappearances that grew stranger, getting to the roundabout road on the other shore and past the fabled lady of White Rock Lake. We're going to do whatever it takes. Together, we'll go on the run. Running out of time, then engine stalled before beginning to hum, and she smiled as they took sail over White Rock Lake. The dark and muddy waters of White Rock Lake, where you could see the reflection of the stones. And if you looked closely among the sticks, were bones of other lovers who couldn't escape the wrath and hate of the lady of white rock lake foolish were the lovers to ignore the lore unsuspecting of what destiny had in store dark water seeped beneath their feet a voice creeped around them from a figure that came from the deep you are somebody's ungrateful children Skin decayed and rotten, in a ripped dress, this creature, a vengeful spirit of town, a betrayed mother, drowned daughter, and their lover. She was the lady of White Rock Lake, and she was there to punish anyone who dared escape. The creature stabbed the lover through his heart. Foolish girl, this is your fate. As the boat sank, the lady wrapped the girl in chains and said, you're coming with me to the bottom of White Rock Lake. And they were never found. And through the country towns, it was said they were drowned by none other than the lady of White Rock Lake.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: There is safety behind closed doors because we never know what could be hunting for us outside like in this classic creepy pasta from Anonymous. I lay in my bed, restless and alone on a dark and silent night. I toss and turn in my bed, trying to find a comfortable spot, but I feel uneasy. Something about tonight just didn't feel right. I toss and turn until I finally find a comfortable position. I close my eyes, but it doesn't make a difference. It's too dark in my room to see a thing anyways. I guess it takes time for my eyes to adjust to darkness. I lay there, still and silent on a dark and dank night. My body is relaxed, my mind is blank, and I'm ready for some much needed rest. Instantly, the silence is shattered and my mind fills with fearful thoughts as my startled eyes flash open. Knock, knock. It's almost undoubtedly the sound of a fist on glass. But no, it couldn't be. What would someone's motivation be to wake someone alone in their home? Think logically. If someone wanted to break in, why would they warn me with a knock? They would just break in, making a loud and obvious noise or try to be as silent as possible. Why would they knock? Monsters don't exist. I could give myself some peace of mind and simply look out the window, but I'm facing the other way and I'm too timid to turn my head, afraid of finding my greatest fears standing outside my window. What could it be, though? Maybe a couple of birds flew into my window. No, that's too unrealistic. Could a group of kids be running around late at night, knocking on windows to get a few laughs? It's a possibility. Come to think of it, Maybe it was my imagination. Maybe I heard the usual creak in the house, and my paranoid mind has mistaken it for a knock. Nope, that definitely wasn't my imagination. Those damn kids are persistent. They don't want to quit until they get that reaction. Maybe some sick, twisted freak is standing outside waiting for me to look so he can smash through and attack me. No, don't think that. Don't get paranoid. Besides, he's outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Besides, I haven't moved yet. Hopefully, those kids will think I'm a heavy sleeper and leave me alone. No, it can't be kids. No kid would wait around this long just to get a reaction from one lonely guy. They'd just get bored and move along, but what could it be? Why would a serial killer target me of all people? Think logically. Monsters don't exist. Don't get paranoid. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. But if it's not a monster or some sort of killer, what could it be? Just pretend to be asleep and maybe they'll go away. Oh God, I can't think of a noise I hate more than that persistent knock. Please go away. Just leave me alone and let me be. There's no hope. It's going to get in here and do sick and horrible things to me. Inhale. Take deep breaths. I can feel my heart pound out of my chest. Just relax. Monsters don't exist. Remember, they're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Repeat that. Don't let your fear get the best of you. Just pretend to be asleep. Don't move a muscle. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Just pretend to be asleep and pray to go away. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Frightful tears begin to drip down my face. Monsters don't exist. Monsters do not exist. I begin to whisper to myself. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go mad listening to these knocks. At least if I see what it is, I'll have peace of mind. Take a deep breath. I repeat to myself one more time. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I take a few more breaths my heart pounding as hard as this ever pounded at a mile a minute. I slowly turn my head to face the window. My heart sank into my chest and I'm too afraid to scream or move. I turned my head to find a pale figure with beady black eyes staring through me and into my soul as a horrid grin creeps across his face. It was standing inside the whole time, knocking on my window. This is a wondrous creepy pasta classic one, written by Anonymous. Have you heard of this tale before? How well will you sleep tonight? It's not the size of the warrior that counts as much as how many warriors can be counted on within the horde like in this tale based on a California true story. The call came in just past one in the afternoon. Campus security from Todd College had a situation grow out of their control. Multiple students and staff are being attacked by a swarm of insects of some type. My partner Sandra and the crew geared up and headed out in our fire truck. Usually animal control and the city exterminator would take care of something like this, but we'd been called in as well. While it wasn't unusual for us to answer emergency calls at the school, no way were we ready for what we were about to face. Turning in behind the ambulance, a throng of people ran for cover heading away from the new science labs. Black smoke was pouring out of a window from the building. We couldn't see any flames though, just the reflection of this black mass trailing across the glass front of the building. We all hopped out of the truck, Sandra ran ahead to assess the situation while me and the crew readied the Quint, our fire truck, for action. Ragged screams tore through the air. I found myself walking away from the truck, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. It was widespread panic, more panic than I've ever seen at the sight of any fire. Then I noticed that the smoke was going against the wind. Winding around and enveloping the crowds within this long mass of cloud-like darkness. People crushed each other, flailing around in the street. The floating amorphous blob hovered over everyone. There was no escape. Sandra stumbled back, clutching at the truck. That's when I noticed their faces. The large welts all over their cheeks and necks eyes and throats swelling shut, tearful shouts for God, for anyone, to save them. It's bees, Sanja gasped. I'm allergic, oh God. Then there was a burst of glass breaking. Doors and windows from the biology greenhouse were burst open by another wave of killer bees. It swayed threateningly. The angry drone chilled me to the bone as it snaked out of the building and out into the air. The swarm grew, morphing into a block-long horde of bees descending on us all. I turned to Sandra. Get back inside the Quint. Before getting safely back in the truck, she handed out our CO2 extinguishers. Shutting the door, she got on the radio to call for backup. We'd need whoever could make it. Heading out with the extinguisher, lancing pain raced through the side of my neck. Crying out, I smacked the bee. The carcass tumbled down my arm and caught on my jacket. Looking down at it, I realized it was no normal insect. It looked roided, bigger and deadlier than any bee I'd ever seen. One of the students came up to me, pleading for help, their eyes swelling shut as their body started to jerk. I hoisted them in a fireman carry back to the truck. When I got close, Sandra opened the truck door, swatting the air around her. She helped me get the student inside. With the help of some of the campus police, we began to spray CO2 at the swarm to clear a way into an auditorium. The cops called for everyone to take cover, seal all the windows and doors until help arrived. Ambulances took as many as they could for as long as they could hold them off, but the bees just kept coming. One of the cops waving others to safety was suddenly covered from head to toe in a swirling mass of bees. Too far away, when some of us were able to get to her, we were too late. She lay motionless on the ground, dead-eyed, face swollen, tongue jutting out of her mouth. There were more bodies littered throughout, covered in either weeping welts or covered in bees. More firefighters arrived to redirect the out-of-control, deadly mass with CO2 and water. We sprayed it up in the air to push them into the sky. There was no stopping this swarm of mutant bees, only a small chance at delaying their attacks while more people were whisked to safety. The sting on my neck was swelling up. It felt almost as big as a baseball, and I began to choke. Unable to breathe, I passed out on a gurney, hoping my partner and the students were okay. First responders, including firefighters, faculty, students, and police, were attacked by an aggressive swarm of bees today at Todd College. Multiple people have been taken to the hospital, with at least five fatalities and many in critical condition. A faculty biology teacher and beekeeper, Naya Barker, estimated there were between 30,000 and 40,000 bees at the scene. She further stated that these bees were, quote, unnatural abominations. An anonymous insider has reported that the insects were actually mutated, a genetic splicing experiment gone wrong in an effort to promote breeding to save the species. It was an unsanctioned experiment led by biology professor Jordan Costa. Dr. Costa was overtaken by his bee colony and was the first confirmed fatality of this new breed of killer bees. The situation is unfolding, but Professor Naya Barker estimates that the killer hive will grow as it moves through the region and interbreeds with the local bee population. This is based on a true story. This is something that you can Google or Bing. Look up Florida in love bugs and see if a genetic splicing experiment or interbreeding experiment couldn't go horribly wrong. And now a retelling of the original Be Careful What You Wish For story based on The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs. My father hoped he'd get a promotion when the American, Mr. Morris, took over the Meridian Shoe Company as CEO. Word was that Mr. Morris was part of old Money and Connections and had used both to buy himself the office. My father deserved that title. He was a top executive who had built an amazing community among the employees. Instead, he was assigned to train Mr. Morris during the takeover. He didn't even fight it, which honestly made me a little embarrassed for him. But my father did, however, push one request. Mr. Morris was to have me as his personal assistant. Maybe I could get us to the family dream. It would just take a bit longer. On his first day, Mr. Morris called us into his top floor office at headquarters. They went over staffing cuts, downsizing to move some production overseas. I could tell my father didn't agree with the decisions, but surprisingly to me, Mr. Morris seemed pragmatic. His choices would hurt some, but the company itself might prosper. As the meeting went on, I could feel Mr. Morris sizing me up, judging my business acumen. I love my father but a small, guilty voice inside me hoped that I measured up. At the end of their meeting, Mr. Morris turned to me and offered me a wooden box. I would like us to start on the right foot. A young man's future in a position like yours is a gift of opportunity. I slowly opened the box. Inside, it was lined with a velvet interior, and the middle of it was a shriveled and mummified object. A monkey paw, for luck, he smiled. An old trinket from my family's vast Middle East artifacts collection. It gave me luck when I needed it, and now I give it to you. Sort of grossed out, I tried to hide my frown. I don't know if I can accept this. Don't you have a son to give this sort of... I would have liked to give it to a child of my own, but alas, I no longer have one he said, a little oddly. My dad gave me a look that spoke, be grateful, Clive. So I thanked Mr. Morris. The Indian curator we purchased this from said it's good for three wishes. Use them wisely. Just a token of my appreciation for your welcoming me into the company. He laughed and offered us a drink to toast to new beginnings. Baffled and a little disillusioned, I drank, My new boss had just given me a dead animal limb he thought was magical. At home, I gingerly took out the monkey paw as we explained to my mother what had happened that day, along with the three wishes that I could supposedly be granted. Disdainfully holding the mummified thing in the palm of my hand, I snorted and jokingly said, Well then, I wish for $20,000 for our family. Just then, I felt the paw jerk in my hand. Mouth agape, I looked down at it. One of the fingers on the paw had twisted around on itself and curled in. I dropped it with a shout. It it moved. My mom laughed and came over, picking up the paw, placing it back in its box, and placed it on the mantle. Well, it did, I think. Shaking my head, I yawned. It had been a long day. Night, I said to them over my shoulder as I headed upstairs to my room. Good night, son, my mother and father called after me. The next morning, I was working on Mr. Morris' schedule when I got the call. The call that you never want to get. My world slowed down and sounds warped. I could barely breathe. Tears poured down my cheeks as I called my mother to tell her the news. Father is dead. There was an accident at the factory. The next few weeks were a blur. It was chalked up as an unfortunate but freak accident. Losing my father was not only a blow to my family, but for overall company morale. Some employees thought that the machine malfunction could have been caught if the maintenance staff's hours hadn't been cut by the new CEO. There was a whirlwind of condolences, and I continued to support my mother any way I could. Her and my father had been high school sweethearts, and before that, childhood best friends. They had been with each other most of their lives. She hadn't spoken or eaten much since the accident, and I made sure to spend as much time as possible by her side. A check arrived in the mail. It was from the insurance company for $20,000. I read it over and over again, aghast. I knew what this was. It was the 20000 I had wished for. That thing had done this. I stormed over to the mantle where the forgotten box still rested, yanking the monkey's paw out of his velvety hidey hole. I squeezed it tightly in my fist and shouted, Bring my father back! The pain and anger flooded out. Bring him back! Another finger of the monkey's paw twisted around and onto itself and suddenly... There was a knock at the door. My mother stood up as if in a daze and looked around a little confused. The knocking continued. Her gaze skipped over me and locked onto the door. She began walking towards it. The timing of all of this couldn't be a coincidence. I didn't mean it, I breathed. Not really. I didn't mean it. The door shook loudly and was unlocked. Whoever it was knew where to find our emergency key. The door swung partway open. From my angle, I couldn't see who was there, but I saw my mother's face. She lit up and laughed, overjoyed at whoever was at the door. She tried to rush past me and I grabbed her. Mom, look at me. This isn't real. It can't be. My mother turned to me, looking at me, but not really. The wild joy in her eyes looked like madness and I had to look away from her. Let me go, Clive. I just want to go with him. Let me go! She pushed me aside, running past. I refused to look towards the door and instead, numbly, I looked at the monkey paw in my sweaty palm. I made my mind up and said one last wish. The final finger shriveled back and I threw the thing into the fire. The fireplace erupted in flames, jutting fire into the small space. Smoke quickly engulfed the room. Sputtering, I blindly headed to the front door. I called out for my mother and heard nothing but wild laughter. Tears coursing down my cheeks, I saw the skirt of her dress twirling within the smoke in the living room. Some rotting thing was waltzing with her in its arms. I turned away, retching. Good night, son, my mother and father said to me while they danced in the burning room. I ran into the night. My wish? I had wished for the only thing that had any importance left in my life. After another whirlwind of condolences, I sat in my new apartment. A call came. Mr. Morris and the company board promoted me into my father's executive role. I accepted, but I didn't care anymore. I was still numb and hollow, even when the house and my mother's life insurance paid ten times the amount I had originally received for my father's death. Along with the shares my father had already owned, it was enough to buy controlling interest in the company, which I did because my final wish had been for the CEO title. Everything had fallen into place. I had realized my family's dreams, and yet I didn't feel a thing. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty and Sabina Graves. Audio edited by Fitz Harris. Graphics by Johnny Ashley. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo.